0: Thanks, Phil. I just want to start off. My name's Graham, by the way. I mentioned that before, didn't I? I was singing. Um, I want to start off with a public service announcement, okay? This won't come out on the video, so if you're watching at home, great to have you here. I might describe what I'm going to do nice and loud. You ready? <laughs> that actually feels okay. I don't, know, I don't have any rashes or anything. Let's try this one here. <laughs> this one's it's quite comfortable. I feel fine, I'm not sick, I'm okay. <clears throat> do you see what I'm saying, church? The front rows are okay to sit in. It's alright, you can do it. Thank you, Matt. Yes, good. Um, Radio. enough of that. Please, sit in the front rows, thank you. Alright, have your Bibles open today, be really helpful. If you don't have a Bible on you right now, you're very welcome to get up, Go and grab one in front of the foyer out there. Uh, Have it open to Galatians chapter 2. Oh, I just ripped my Bible. Isn't that a bit sad? Oh dear. I've had this Bible for about 15 years. There you go. Okay. Well, yes, and in your outlines too, there's an outline in your um, your bulletin, and so that'll help to go through it. The outline's fairly sparse, to be totally honest, and the second point will help you, but it's not exactly what I'm going to be talking about. Uh, that happens sometimes. Um, but those two points are very good. I can tell you that. But uh, you, you might, they might be relevant. I'm, I'm sure they're relevant. But uh, what we're saying. All right. And we're going to have a Q&A at the end. Um, if you've got any questions, write some things down and ask me at the end. And I'll do my best to answer it. Or I might say, hey, let's do it next week. How about we pray now and ask God to help us in his word. Father, we do thank you so much for church today. And we thank you that uh, you're a good God who loves us dearly. And we know, Lord, that as we've been reading through Galatians, that we are saved by grace, your unmerited favour to us. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by what you've done for us, Lord Jesus. And we thank you. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, this, this photo... This photo was taken on February 27th, uh, 2019, when Kim Jun-un and Donald Trump met for their much-anticipated summit. I believe it was in the Philippines, but I I, I didn't actually look up this one. There were two of them. Now, time doesn't permit us to really explore this photo in depth, but, gee, wouldn't it be fun? Look at the look on Kim Jong-un's face. Sort of bewilderment. What is going on here? Uh, It's just fantastic. I love it. And he's pointing toward. Anyway, I won't, won't do it too much. Now, apparently on the menu that night on this, this much-anticipated summit, this important meal together, on the menu was shrimp cocktail, grilled sirloin, so surf and turf. Like, what else wouldn't you want, eh? Surf and turf and when you're meeting important people. Anyway, with uh, pear kimchi, I think that's a Korean dish, and uh, chocolate lava cake. I don't know where that's from at all. But either cake, delicious, don't you think? Now, much has been written about... The power and symbolism of eating together. Sharing a meal with someone. So, of course, there's unity and peace. But really, there's acceptance and approval. When you eat together, share a meal together, it's acceptance and approval of the people that you're with at the time. Now, when Peter came to the church at Antioch, Made up mostly of Gentile, so non-Jewish background Christians, he ate with them. Uh, he spent time with them. He hung out with them. Now to us today, this mightn't seem that significant really, but I tell you, to Peter in his day, this was a big deal. This is a huge deal. You see, for centuries, Jews were known for their law keeping, which included separation from the Gentiles. And God had established certain dietary laws and other commandments intended to keep the Jews from mingling with the Gentiles so uh, they wouldn't be corrupted by their idolatry and their immorality, which made eating with Gentiles a big no-no. And Gentiles also ate certain foods. In fact, the whole thing was regarded as unclean. Don't eat with them. It's unclean. You, they're impure. You need to be separate from them. Uh, Remember how how Jesus, how how the Jewish establishment uh, reacted when they saw Jesus eating and drinking with sinners. They hated it. They hated him for it. You see, something happened in Acts chapter 10, and that was our first reading that Valerie read for us. Something happened for Peter. Something happened for Christians that was paradigm shifting. It was a game changer. It changed everything. Peter could now, Jews could now eat with Gentiles. See, Acts chapter 10 begins with a man called Cornelius. Cornelius was a, uh, he's described as a God-fearing Gentile. And he had a vision in which an angel told him to send for the apostle Peter to come to his house. Uh, Cornelius did what the angel told him. And while this was happening, Peter himself had a vision. What What I want to do, I want to read the story to you. Uh, It's Acts chapter 10, verse 9. Now, if you've got a Bible there, you're welcome to follow along with me. What I'd love you to do, maybe, is just sit back and relax and hear the story. It's a great great story. It's a number of verses. And I want to read it to you. um, And let's just listen to this section of Scripture. So I'm going to start with verse 9, Acts chapter 10, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry. And wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and the birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. So Simon is Peter, same person. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, there you go, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to come uh, to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence, but Peter made him get up and said, Stand up, I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, "'You are well aware that, this, uh, that it is against our law "'for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. "'But God has shown me that I should not call any man "'impure or unclean. "'So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. "'May I ask why you sent for me?' "'Cornelius answered, "'Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour.' I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. All right, we'll stop there for a moment. It's a great story, a great account of what happened. See, when Peter preached the gospel to Cornelius and his family and his wider family... Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 48, and this is what Valerie read for us earlier as well, tells us what happened. They became Christians. They became followers of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit was poured out on these Gentiles, which we know, if we keep reading through Acts, had huge implications. As I said before, it was a game changer. The gospel now was going out to the nations, it wasn't just For the Jews, it was going out to the nations fulfilling Jesus' promise of Acts 1 verse 8, which says, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you've been my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and at the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit was for everyone. The gospel was for everyone. But not everyone was pleased. (laughs) Not everyone was pleased. If we keep reading in Acts chapter 11 one to three, we read that those who stressed circumcision, in other words, those who stressed law-keeping, were angry and said, you went into the house of those uncircumcised men and you ate with them. You ate with them. But then Peter explained that when Cornelius and his family believed in the Lord Jesus, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that they the Jews received at Pentecost, well, there was a different reaction. And in verse 18, I think I've got it up here actually. In verse 18, it says, When they heard this, they had no further objections and they praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Okay, take a big breath. <laughs> With all that in mind, we come to Galatians chapter 2. We come to Paul's extraordinary public confrontation with Peter in front of the church at Galatia. Uh, Galatians 2, 11 to 21. I have that open now if you flick back, um, if you're still in Acts. Galatians 2, 11 to 21. But out of the same, there we go. Galatians 2 verse 12 tells us that Peter, uh, and as we know, had been eating with Gentiles because of the Acts 10 incident and that game changer. Uh, But, back in Galatians 2 verse 12, because he feared the circumcision group, uh, that's those gospel plus Judaizers we've been hearing about, uh, certain men, verse 12, because of them, because of the pressure they put on him, those uh, Jewish people who are relying on the law, uh, law keepers, Because of them, he stopped eating with Gentiles and began to separate himself from them. And remember, this is the same Peter we've just read about in Acts chapter 10. See, not only was Peter creating a sort of a two-tiered Christianity, showing favoritism, he was reverting back to law-keeping as a way to please God. But it gets worse. Other believers started to follow Peter's lead, including Barnabas. He's mentioned in verse 13, and Barnabas was the guy who helped plant the church at Galatia. Peter knew the gospel. He knew the gospel, no doubt about that. He believed the gospel, but his actions didn't reflect the gospel. So Paul called him out on it. He writes in verse 14 that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Now, we're generally not dealing with these types of issues, are we? <laughs> in our day-to-day life, we're not dealing with Jew and Gentile issues. But there is a lot in our wealthy, well, self-indulgent lives that is not in line with the truth of the gospel. And, and as Paul says with Peter, it's a type of hypocrisy. See, we might sit politely with those other people whose cultural emphases are different than ours. Maybe they look a bit different. Maybe they speak a bit different. Maybe they don't have the nicest clothes as we do. We might sort of sit politely with them, uh, but we won't eat with them. We won't become friends with them. We'll keep it polite and civil. Uh, Perhaps that's what Peter was doing. And that'll be the extent of it, though. You see, Galatians is great because it reminds us how easy it is to slip into both legalism and hypocrisy. On the one hand, we think that by doing good, law-keeping, we can earn favour before God. Like Peter reverting back to his old ways of law-keeping, thinking that law-keeping pleases God. And then on the other hand well, we claim to have the gospel of grace, but we live like the rest of the world. Well, that's the type of hypocrisy, isn't it? The gospel says anyone can be part of God's church. Anyone. The world says some people are more important than others. So we need to avoid both legalism and hypocrisy. And Galatians, I think, helps us to do that. Let's see how, and I guess a bit of why too, in verses 15 to 21. Let me read verses 15 to 21 to you again. We who are Jews by birth are not Gentile sinners, and not Gentile sinners, inverted commas, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. We too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ we Jews find ourselves also among sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For the law, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for anyone... For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. The temptation, you see, is to withdraw, the temptation to withdraw from table fellowship uh, with Gentile Christians because of Jewish food laws, as I said, is not really something that most Christians today have to deal with. Um, To start with, most of us, as far as I know, are Gentiles. However, the temptation is always for us to see some form of law-keeping as the way to get right with God or to stay right with God. That's legalism. So in terms of getting right with God, it's it's fairly common, really. You talk to enough people. You hear people say, uh, well, in terms of being right with God, I I keep the Ten Commandments um, or the Sermon on the Mount or some other ethical standard. That's, that's that's, That's how I'll get right with God, isn't it, I say? If I make a reasonable fist of keeping these and being good, they say, then God is bound to accept me at the end. I'm a good person, right? Uh, God is bound to accept me. Should will be right. However, this sort of thinking results in a very low view of God. We think about it, doesn't it? And the law. And a very high view of ourselves. We need to realise that, that the God we are seeking to please just to quote Hebrews 12, is a consuming fire. Picture that. Uh, An awe-inspiring God of blindingly pure holiness who cannot tolerate any sin. He is no easy please God. Being good isn't good enough. And what is worse, despite our best intentions, we're all woeful at (laughs) law-keeping. We're woeful at it. When we actually compare our behaviour with the Ten Commandments or the Sermon on the Mount, we all come up embarrassingly short. Let's be honest. You see, Peter, like us, needed to be reminded of how we are saved and, and how that makes a difference in our lives and how we live. That we're made right with God, justified by faith in Christ alone. That the judge has pronounced those who have faith in Jesus as not guilty. Paul writes in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, God who made him who who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, by the death, Jesus' death on the cross, God God, God has made a way for Jesus' righteousness to be credited to us. And that is by faith in Jesus, trusting in Christ. And not Christ plus some work of ours, some good work, but simply Christ's work on the cross, faith in Christ alone. The story is told of, um, of a wealthy Englishman who purchased a Rolls Royce and uh, took his new car to France across the English Channel. It had been advertised as the car of all cars on a problem-free automobile. But when the man got his car to France, well, it broke down. Dear. So he called Ro- Rolls-Royce back in England and they flew a mechanic over to France to f- fix his car. Well, of course, the man expected to get an enormous bill from Rolls-Royce. You know, they'd, they'd flown all the way over to fix his car. But months passed. Months and months passed. They, he never heard from them. So finally he actually wrote to them and he said, you know what, I can pay the bill. Just just send me the bill, I can pay it. Well Rolls-Royce sent him back a note that said, I'm sorry sir, but we have no record of anything having gone wrong with your car. (laughs) See, this happens when someone believes the gospel. When you place your faith in Christ, you receive his forgiveness and righteousness. God looks at you and says, in regards to our sinfulness, wrongdoing against God. He looks at us and says, I have no record of anything having ever gone wrong in your life. Justification is a declaration. It's what it is. Uh, to justify, J.R. Packer wrote this. To justify in the Bible means to declare of a man on trial that he is not liable to any penalty that is entitled to all the privileges due to those who have kept the law justifying is the act of a judge pronouncing the opposite sentence to condemnation, that of acquittal and legal immunity I uh, often remember the term it's just an easy way to remember justification what Paul speaks about here uh, just as if I've never sinned we, uh, it's a pronouncement it's a declaration that God says I have no record of I have no record of you Sinning against me. And it's due to God's grace, His undeserved favour of you and I. The thing is, though, for Christians, that is, for those of us who have realised how far short we fall and have cast ourselves on Jesus Christ, well, we can slip into Peter's mistake. We can slip into, into this danger of law keeping. All right? Having abandoned the law as a means of being right with God, well, there's no going back though. We've abandoned the law as a means of being right with God. We won't we're not right with God because what we do through law keeping. We're right with God because what Jesus has done for us. So having abandoned that the law as being a means of being right with God, don't go back. It's not as if having been declared right with God through Jesus' death alone we then take up a regime of observing the law in order to remain Christians. We don't do that either. In Paul's words in verse 18, we cannot rebuild what we have destroyed. By trusting in Christ for our righteousness, we have utterly abandoned the path of law-keeping. We've died to it. Don't try to resurrect it. If you're a Christian, we've died to the path of law-keeping. We know it doesn't work. Don't try to resurrect it. That part of us has been crucified with Christ. And our new life with Christ is lived out by simply trusting him, giving ourselves to him. See, that was Peter's mistake. By drawing back from full, full fellowship with his Gentile brothers and sisters, no longer sharing a meal with them, he was reverting back to the law. He was reverting back to that old way. But he'd, been crucif- he'd crucified that old way. He'd been reverting back to legalism. He was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. He was trying to resurrect what was dead and buried. He was trying to rebuild what, they, what he had destroyed when he trusted in Christ. To attempt to add law-keeping to faith was to destroy what faith was all about. Gospel plus is no gospel at all. Well, why, don't we, why don't we tie a few things, uh, a few things together here? It's worth... Um, It's worth remembering that Peter's still talking to Paul. Uh, Sorry, Paul's still talking to Peter. I think, imagine, that might have been a bit intense, don't you think? Um, He's still talking to him. And so in verse 21, he finishes by reminding Peter that the Christian life is about living in line with the gospel throughout the whole of life for the whole of our lives. Let me read those two verses to you again, verse 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ... And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If justification, being right with God, is by the law in any way, Christ's death is meaningless in history and it's meaningless to you and me personally. See, imagine for a moment that your house was burning down, right? And, but you got the families out, everyone escaped, all safe. But I said to you, let me show you how much I love you. And I ran into the house and I died. <laughs> what a tragic and senseless waste of life, don't you think? But now imagine your house is on fire and one of your children was still in there. And I said to you, let me show you how much I loved you. And I ran into the flames I saved your child but in the process I died you'd think, well, look how much he loved us, wouldn't you? If we could save ourselves, Christ's death is pointless and means nothing. If we realise we cannot save ourselves, Christ's death will mean everything to us and we'll spend the life he has given us in joyful service to him, bringing our whole lives in line with the gospel. How about I pray for us and then we'll see if there's any questions. Let's pray. Father, we uh, we thank you for your word today, this great reminder. Uh, a reminder that Peter needed. And if Peter needed it, I reckon we do too. Lord, a reminder that we're, we're saved because of what you've done for us. We're right with you, Lord God, because of the gift of your son. Lord, that we can be justified simply by faith in you. We can be right with you, just as if I've never sinned, by faith in you. Lord, help us to trust you. As, uh, as Paul writes, Lord, we pray that we can say it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Lord, help us with that. And we ask that you'd fill us with your spirit as we seek to, to live our lives in response to your grace, your un, undeserved favour of us in Jesus. Amen.